Good morning, and welcome to the next podcast in Wisconsin Concealed Carry University uh, podcast regarding judicious use of deadly force for concealed carry persons, police officers, and security guards, since the justification is the same for all three categories. Uh, I just want to expound a little bit more. We've talked previously on the definition of deadly force, um, that which causes a high probability of death or great bodily harm. We went through the Wisconsin definition of the behavior that justifies the use of deadly force, which is that has caused or imminently threatens to cause death or great bodily harm to oneself or another person or persons, and the principles of intent weapon delivery system. Now I want to go into a little bit more of a universal applications of these principles as I'm getting some questions from people who are out of the state of Wisconsin. The terminologies may differ slightly, but the principles are all the same. They're all based on the United States Constitution and English common law, which predates our um, U.S. Constitution, and and it's very similar principles they mean the same, there's just interchangeable terminology. The more common terminology you'll hear instead of the intent weapon delivery system that we use here is ability, opportunity, and jeopardy. Um, like Masada puts it, because police officers like acronyms, and a lot of people use the acronyms of AOJ, Administration of Justice, uh, Ability, Opportunity, and Jeopardy for the AOJ. Uh, police officers in the academy and in college, we get a lot of classes that are titled Administration of Justice 101 and the like, so it's an easy acronym for officers to remember and for concealed carry members as well. Uh, ability, opportunity, jeopardy. A ability is that the person has the ability or the power to enable that deadly threat against you. Opportunity is the opportunity to cause that jeopardy or danger to you, and that is mostly based on distance and obstacles. Distance and obstacles are not as much of a factor when you're talking a firearm uh, as your deadly force threat because a firearm is a remote-controlled weapon. You press the button, the trigger, it fires, and it's pretty much instantaneously going to affect uh, wherever it's aimed to shoot at, and which may be you as a deadly force uh, target. Uh, however, when a person has a contact weapon, like a knife or a club, and they have to make contact with the victim, then obstacles and distance play a much, much bigger factor in the equation. Uh, we use 21 feet as a basic guideline to consider the distance from when that threat is imminent when it is a contact weapon. That's based on the Tuller drill from Sergeant Dennis Tuller in uh, the early 1980s when he did tests and extensive drills and uh, practices to kind of hone in on uh, average distances because too many officers were letting somebody with a knife or club get right on top of them before they would finally shoot, and this was too late. And there was an article written, it was called How Close is Too Close. I think it was by Masad Ayub, who's a 
expert in self-defense and deadly force. And he um, emphasized these distances that Dennis Tuller discovered through practice and drills and training and um, came out with a very good average. 21 feet is when a subject can close the gap in two seconds or less, and it takes you about one and a half to two seconds as the uh, officer or the person with the deadly force to react, respond, and stop the threat. And these studies were so well recognized that they actually became a national yardstick and standard for us in all firearms training. And we base a lot of our training off of that 21 feet. When they're further out, uh, generally you have more time to react and you may have the ability to avoid the need for deadly force through commands, maybe just having the firearm out presented and ready. And what we use in law enforcement, we use a a high-ready or tactical-ready stance. And until the subject becomes within that imminent distance, the imminent time frame of the 21 feet or less, is when now you have no choice but to act if they are still um, an active threat. And Jeopardy, the last of the three, is what would a reasonable and prudent person believe? And if they believe that you were in imminent danger, then you have met the three criteria ability. The person had the power to employ that deadly threat, the opportunity from distance and obstacles, and jeopardy is a normal person would believe that, yes, they are about to employ that deadly threat. And when all three of those criteria are met, you have justification and you can shoot to stop the threat. Remember, we stop the threat. We don't shoot to kill. Sometimes they're in, they're intertwined, and before the deadly threat is over, uh, that does not end until a person is dead, especially for a very dedicated person who is vicious and very intent on caring, killing, or maybe they themselves are committing suicide in the, in the end mission of this attack, or uh, there could be drugs involved, PCP, crack, some of the long nose natures are just a lot of adrenaline. You never know every situation is different. Physio, psychological factors are different. Motivation levels and, and such, we can never predict um, whether it's going to be one shot or several shots, and it depends where the shot placement is and uh, also on how quickly the threat is stopped. But our objective in law enforcement is we, we achieve immediate threat reduction um, to stop the threat. Immediate threat reduction means that you have to reduce that threat or eliminate it as quickly as possible. Fractions of a second can mean a difference between life or death. We have a saying in law enforcement firearms training that there are no second place winners in a gunfight. In second place, you're dead last, and there are no ties in a gunfight. So we need to stop that threat as quickly as possible, and unfortunately, that is why we have to shoot in what would be the more fatal areas of that human attacker. We use between the eyebrow and the nipple line as our primary target area uh, when we're using the handgun to stop a deadly threat. The idea of shooting somebody in the hip or the leg 
or the shoulders, something along those uh, lines so that you don't kill them is a myth because that's not going to stop somebody. It might slow them down, it might wound them, but when it comes to that point where I need to use the handgun, I need to stop the threat, immediate threat reduction. If I'm not comf- if I'm not feeling comfortable shooting them in a most deadly effective area to stop that threat immediately, and I felt that I could just shoot somebody in the leg or the arm, um, then I probably shouldn't be resorting to that highest level of force, deadly force at that point. Because I'm only going to go to that gun and use deadly force and utilize it if I'm in fear of my life or the fear of the life of another person or persons. So that goes on to the um, other terminology that's more universal too that would cover the whole country that Masad Ayub uses. I read many of his books and articles in uh, shooting journals and deadly force information. He's wrote very good um, books. One is called In the Gravest Extreme, uh, written by him. He's a, a police officer of over 30 years in New Hampshire, and he's an uh, expert on deadly force. He's been an expert witness in many court trials, and he's an expert in the training of it. And he just uses the immediate, otherwise unavoidable danger of death or grave bodily harm to the innocent. And the innocent will cover you if the threat's against you or others if you're um, covering others. You are allowed with self-defense to protect a third party. Um, even there may be no danger to you, but if you're in that mall where there's a shooting, that workplace, at school, or anywhere, and someone else's life is threatened with deadly threat, then you may stop that person that is creating a deadly threat force against someone else on that person's behalf. And it's simply a simple test to asking if I was in their shoes, would I be able to use deadly force justifiably to stop this threat? And if the answer is yes, then you're authorized to use deadly force to stop that threat against the other person, even though you may not be in any imminent danger yourself. But that's protection of a third person, and that is also justifiable under the self-defense law. So these are principles. Keep in mind when you're assessing the threat, If you always make sure that that threat is a life-threatening threat and you are in fear of your life. Uh, to be justified and use deadly force for immediate threat reduction and to stop the threat. As long as you stay within those fundamentals and they're reasonable, you'll be safe. Another uh, formula to use that covers everything within the self-defense statute, um, Andrew Branca, another uh, person that I follow, he's a self-defense attorney. He does many cases and reviews case law on deadly force. Um, he advises that there's five elements that you need to prove for a self-defense. There's innocence, imminence, avoidance, reasonableness, and proportionality. And as long as all five of those elements are um, met when they review the case, then it will be judicial. So... Uh, judicious use of force. Innocence is that you have to be innocent. 
You cannot provoke the attack. If you provoke the attack, then you cannot use self-defense as, as your defense. Okay, Imminence means that it's about to happen. We're talking it's about to happen unless I stop it. Unless I stop, that threat is, is going to happen. They're drawing the gun. The gun is coming up. I don't have to wait till the gun is pointed at me. I don't have to wait till they fire the first shot like some people in my CCW classes think. If the threat's imminent, they're armed and they're bringing that muzzle towards you, you don't have to wait until the muzzle's already pointed at you or shot. That's why you're allowed to stop an imminent threat. It doesn't already have to be occurring. Uh, avoidance is just if there's another resort short of using deadly force that you can use to um, avoid having to use deadly force as long as it does not compromise your safety, like you cannot outrun a bullet, uh, um, then avoid this situation and using deadly force. It's just using deadly force as a last resort, common sense. But it, we do not do that to the point to where we jeopardize our own safety by trying to hesitate or avoid using deadly force. Proportionality is just that we need to have our level of force has to be proportionate to the level of threat in order to be justified. If someone's going to punch me in the face I cannot use deadly force and shoot them. It's very in a, in, in unproportional. Punching me in the face is going to result in some physical harm, but I'm going to get a fat lip, a black eye, a bloody nose. I'm not going to look at that as being life-threatening, and I won't be in fear of my life from a punch or a blow. And it would be uh, very excessive for me to respond to that level of a threat with a knife or a gun and fire. It's just not proportional. So the, threat, the amount of force used has to be proportional to the amount of deadly force. But remember, some people think that a knife, I've had a person in my class that thought if he's faced with a knife attack, that he has to pull a knife out and be completely equal terms, and that's just not... A knife is deadly force. If if someone's about to attack me with that knife and they get within that approximate 21-foot range, I'm not responding with a knife. I'm, I'm responding with my handgun. And the end result is that I'm going to fire if I'm in fear of my life and they're within that imminent time frame because a knife is a deadly weapon and that. Just as a car is a deadly weapon if they're coming at you with a car and they're about to run you over, okay? And the last uh, key to this is reasonableness. All the actions, the perception of the threat, and everything has to be reasonable. Uh, it'll be judged, everything in court is judged by the reasonable man doctrine or the prudent man doctrine, as well would a person of normal prudence and reasonableness believe if they were in the same or similar circumstances that you were in at that time you made the decision. And what is known to you at the time? Uh, you may have a gun that's empty and someone's threatening your life and then they bring the gun and they start uh, becoming an imminent throw at the gun and pointing it at you and you fire and use deadly force to stop that perceived threat. And then after the fact, you find out that that gun was... a a um, 
empty gun, a facsimile gun, a toy gun. That does not matter at that point. We cannot judge our our action at that moment based on what we know later on after it, as long as our beliefs are reasonable. It's based on what you knew at the time and what would a reasonable person have perceived and known at that time or should have known. And that's how our our, uh, actions are going to be based on totality of the circumstances, Everything's taken into account. You can escalate the deadly force a little quicker if you're injured, exhausted. Maybe you were stabbed once already or severely injured and your physical limitations are becoming very, very limited. A woman is able to escalate a little quicker than a man because of the general gender differences where uh, men are generally have stronger upper body strength and um, quicker ability and can be more violent than a woman in in the general average. Age is a factor, size, skill level. All these things will be taken into account when they look at the totality of the circumstances when you made your decision. So I hope this clears up a little bit of the core of uh, deadly force. But always remember, ability, opportunity, jeopardy, or if you'd like to use our Wisconsin system, which is pretty much the same. We use intent weapon delivery system. You can remember IWED, I-W-D, for intent weapon delivery system. And remember, though, that all of these fall in and cover the five major factors in a successful self-defense justification of innocence, imminence, avoidance, proportionality, and reasonableness. Those are the five items that are going to have to be proven in court for you to prevail in your case to find justification for the use of your deadly force. If you have any questions, post them in um, my blog or on the podcast, and I look forward to seeing you shortly in the next podcast. We'll continue on with this discussion and um, instruction. Thanks for listening, and have a great day.